Gosh, I love that metaphor of the lighthouse. When storms rage, when the sea is rough, when treacherous waters get dark, when we're trying to navigate the wind and waves, the lighthouse is the beacon for sailors in the night. It illuminates dark waters. It serves as a reference point on the shore. And and that's the same with us. Today we're talking about pain. We're talking about trial, hardship, life challenges, difficulty, whatever you want to call it. In other words, when the storms of life rage, when the sea gets rough, when danger is imminent, when it doesn't seem like there's any hope, what is our beacon When life goes dark, what illuminates treacherous waters and guides us to shore? In short, here's the question that we got in our website and Instagram, Twitter, whatever else. God, what are you up to in the midst of pain? And and, and today I want you to know that we're talking about personal pain. We're talking about difficulty in your life. There's this kind of, you know, what about natural disasters? What about global pain? What about what's going on in the world? And and those questions all have answers. We just don't have time to address them this morning because the questions that we received, again, through our website and and through uh, people just emailing and whatever else, they they had this very strong undercurrent of, God, what are you up to in the midst of my personal difficulty, my tragedy in my life, losing a child, losing a spouse, terminal illness, deep, dark depression. God, I am in pain, and what are you up to in the midst of it? Before we dive into the scripture this morning, let's join our hearts and pray and ask that God would speak to us. God, we need your spirit here this morning. We need your grace. We need your presence. God, this is true with every other topic we talk about and every passage that we, that we get into together. But, but this one, God, uh, seems more than others, or at least we feel it, I feel it more than others, is there's nothing I can say today. It's got to be you, oh God. It's got to be your spirit. It's got to be... It's got to be your voice that we hear. So speak, oh God, as we get into your word together. In Christ's name, amen. Today we're looking at a situation in in John chapter 9 of a man really who experienced the very same thing that Scott experienced, is blindness from birth. John chapter 9, a man who experienced blindness from birth. But, but this passage doesn't only speak to those who experience that particular trial. I mean, you might be thinking, wow, I'm not blind. What does this have to say to me? The, the man really is representative of any of us, all of us who experience hardship, even prolonged hardship, trial, difficulty, or pain, whatever that pain is. Again, the loss of a spouse, the disappointment of a child that runs away and and rejects family, clinical depression, loneliness, financial difficulty, whatever it is, that pain that you face, the scripture has something to say to you and to me this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. If you don't have your Bibles, the scripture's up here on the screen, or there's a Bible right there in the seat back in front of you. You can borrow that one just as long as you promise not to write in it and return it, all right? 
So John chapter 9, verse 1, this man who experienced blindness from birth, and we're going to see what God has to say to us this morning as you and I, as we experience pain, difficulty, and hardship in our life. Let's start there in verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1, reads this way. It says, as he, that's Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Stop there. Jesus is walking down the road. He sees a man blind from birth. So the first point that we're going to take away, the first key truth, the first bottom line truth that we're going to take away this morning from this passage is going to be very, very discouraging. Some of you are not going to like it. Here it is. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Pain is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. This man was blind from birth. This is, there's, there's nothing that he did to deserve this. This wasn't kind of an accident. This, this is just something that happened to him that, that he lived with from the time that he was a kid. Or for even from the time he was born. Why? Because pain is inevitable. Difficulty is inevitable. Hardship is inevitable. It's just a part of the world we live in. And you might be thinking to yourself, wow, Luke, I'm really glad I came to church this morning to hear that encouraging news that pain is inevitable. I should have stayed home and watched Joel Osteen. He would never tell me something that discouraging. But listen, I promise, if you stick with it, if you stick with it and, and stick with me here as we talk about this, I promise that this principle that pain is inevitable can be really life-giving if you allow it to transform your outlook. Let me prove it to you from other scriptures, not just from this man being blind from birth. Pain is inevitable. Difficulty is inevitable. Let me prove it to you from, the, from other scriptures. John 16, everybody's favorite Bible promise. In this world, you will have trouble. Matthew 5, 10, 13, Mark 10, John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, you should expect persecution. You should expect hardship. John 15, verse 18 and 19, Jesus says, I'm the master. You're the servants. What are they going to do to the master? Crucify him. You think they're going to treat the servant any better? I'm the master. I'm not going to treat you any better. The world's going to hate you because you're not of the world. This is one of my favorites, 1 Peter 4:12. Look up here on the screen. It says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial not just the trial, the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Here's what Peter, a disciple of Christ, is saying to us. Uh, he, he's saying this, when you experience pain, difficulty, or hardship in this world, don't look around like, you know, like somebody, you know, like, like shocked. Like, what, what in the world? Pain, difficulty, I didn't expect that. He said, don't be surprised at that. This world is difficult. There is pain in this world. I'm going to give you two quick reasons why. One, because sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Now, I want you to know, it'd be very, very clear here, that the man in John chapter 9, his blindness isn't a consequence of his own sin or even his parents' sin. So please understand that. Please understand that as you walk away this morning. Jesus makes it absolutely clear. His disciples assume it's a result of his own sense. Like, what did this guy do wrong? Jesus said, it's not, it's not about that. But there are moments in life where the pain we experience is a natural result of our own bad choices. 
that the pain we experience in our life is a natural result of our own bad choices. I read a story this week about the iPhone 6. Much people in California have the iPhone 6. And uh, there's a company that released an app as a practical joke, and here's what the app claims to do. When your phone runs out of batteries, put this app on your phone, and instead of plugging your phone in to charge the battery, you can put your phone in the, get this, microwave. And turn the app on before you put it in there, and then, you know, put it in there for a minute, and it'll charge your battery right up. Lickety split. Americans, right? I mean, I don't know. What are, what are you going to do? So literally, there were people all over California putting their phones in the microwave to charge their battery. And it, and it co- totally ruined their phone. And when I say a lot, I mean enough that the Los Angeles Police Department actually released a, an official statement and said, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, don't put your phone in the microwave. And, and, and I quote, because if you do, it will cause some manner of explosion, end quote, end quote, from the Los Angeles Police Department's official statement. Why? Because your bad decision to put your phone in the microwave has a consequence. I have a real good friend that has a little placard on his desk. It says, everything happens for a reason. Very encouraging. Everything happens for a reason. And underneath it in the fine print, it says, sometimes that reason is that you're stupid and you make bad decisions. I don't feel that way. He has that on his desk, not me, okay? Listen, uh, a guy named Dinesh D'Souza, he's a researcher, sociologist. He says that 90% of pain in the world can be attributed to human behavior. 90% of pain can be attributed to human behavior. We see it all over the scripture. Adam and Eve, Ananias and Sapphira. We we spent the summer studying the life of David, and his bad decisions had consequences. His sin had consequences. And when, when we sin, when we make bad decisions, when we reject God, our sin doesn't just have consequences on us. It has consequences on others as well. You ever get greedy? You ever flirt with a coworker? You ever have a few too many drinks? You ever let anger get the best of you? You make bad decisions, and those decisions have consequences. What about somebody close to you? Have they done any of those things? Talking about their sin has painful consequences. But for the man in John chapter 9, Jesus tells us that his blindness is not a result of sin. So if, if his sometimes sin has consequences, painful consequences. However, in this case, it's not a result of sin. So what's it a result of? What is actually going on there with this man in John chapter 9? The, the reality is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the far-reaching consequences of sin. Remember we talked about last week when we back the proverbial truck of our life up over God's farmer's market that he set up and we do damage that has consequences? Listen to the consequences that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Look up here on the screen. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility... Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Here's what Paul is saying. Because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, because of their sin, God, what God made good, what God made perfect, they ruined. And now creation is subjected to futility. 
It's in bondage. It's corrupt. It's groaning. Paraphrasing here, God made it perfect. We messed it up. And it's not perfect anymore. So when we encounter pain, trial, difficulty, it's not necessarily a result of our own sin, although it can be sometimes. Many times, many times, it's simply a result of the fallen world we live in. It's simply a result of the fallen world we live in. But that overarching truth that pain is inevitable, you're going to experience pain in your life. Unless you go home and be with Jesus during this service or sometime this afternoon, you and I are going to experience more pain in our life. Now listen, why does this matter? Why in the world would that matter? How in the world could this statement that pain is inevitable be life-giving for us? Because check it out. If pain is inevitable, then our goal can't be to avoid it. Let me say it again. If pain is inevitable because of our consequences of sin, because of the fallen world we live in, we are just going to experience pain no matter what you do then our goal simply cannot be to avoid pain. And for most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say in the darkest recesses of our hearts that pain avoidance is the ultimate good. If we're honest with ourselves, we would say that pain avoidance is the ultimate good. And here's where we get in a predicament with God. Here's here's where we disagree with God. Because our goal is to avoid pain. Because in our estimation, pain avoidance is the ultimate good. And we project that goal onto God. We assume that that's his goal too. And when we experience pain and God doesn't prevent it, doesn't avoid it on our behalf, we come to these crazy conclusions that God must not be good because he's not preventing pain. Or he must not be powerful enough to address it. He he must not even be there at all because I'm experiencing pain. My goal is to avoid it. He must share that goal. And we hit a brick wall with God when we place our goal onto him. We project our goal onto him. And God whispers softly in the midst of that struggle, my goal isn't pain avoidance. It never has been. Remember the whole cross thing? I ran headlong into that pain. I could have avoided it, but I didn't. So clearly my goal is not pain avoidance. My goal is to leverage your pain for my glory and your ultimate good. Look back down at the text, John chapter 9. Look at verse 2. It says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Why is he experiencing trial? Why was he blind from birth? So that the works of God might be displayed in him, so that God could put his grace on display. 
Why do you experience pain? So that God can put his goodness, grace, and power on display in your life so that he can conform you into his image. His goal isn't to avoid pain. His goal is to leverage pain. And when we wrap our minds around God's purpose in the midst of pain, then and only then are we on track with God. When we see that his goal isn't pain avoidance, but it's to leverage it. We're going to say it this way this morning. God uses our pain for his glory and our ultimate good. God uses pain, our pain, for his glory and our ultimate good. Look, look at what Romans uh, chapter, chapter 8, verse 28. So Paul talks about creation subjected to futility. It's in bondage. It's corrupt. All these things. And then just a few verses later, look what Paul writes. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Note, this is not what Paul says. We know that for those who love God, all things are good. That's not what the verse says. Pain, trial, hardship, difficulty, they're called that for a reason because they're painful, hard, and difficult. Not all things are good, but God works all things together for good for those who are called and according to his purpose. Now that's an amazing God. See, because what would you do if you were God? You'd do the same thing I would do. Just avoid pain. Prevent it. But God is far more powerful than that. He's far more creative than that. And he's got far greater things in mind than pain avoidance. He's got his glory and your good in mind. And he's able to make us more like Jesus, not in spite of our pain, but by using our pain to draw us near to him. I want to tell you just a quick story about a friend of mine who I've watched this happen in her life. I've watched God use pain, difficulty, hardship, and trial far more than most of us will ever experience. She's experienced in her 30 years. Her name is Mary. She has an only son. Uh, her son was born with uh, Solomon. He was born with uh, his intestinal or his internal organs, many of them his digestive organs, on the outside of his body. One of the small intestine, part of his stomach, bladder, uh, large intestine on the outside of his body. Mary not only uh, had to give her son life-saving life surgeries growing up, she lives in Africa, in Uganda, so it's very, very difficult to get correct medical care, so she's had to drive 15, 18 hours to missionary hospitals and put Solomon on a bed with two other kids, hospital bed, and there's three kids laying on it to get Solomon life-saving surgeries. Very, very difficult time. Didn't have correct colostomy bags or different medical things for care. And so uh, they wrapped a towel around Solomon for his first three years of life. And he would eat and digest food and dispose of it into a towel. They'd take the towel off, they'd clean him off and put a new towel on him. He went septic all the time. He got infections all the time. He had multiple life-saving surgeries. The pain that they endured for the first three years of his life is just beyond comprehension. In the midst of that, Mary has a job. She works for an organization called Children of Grace. The goal of Children of Grace is to care for uh, uh, children in Africa that have been orphaned from the HIV virus. 
So Mary is basically a mom to 80 to 100 kids, if that's not painful enough already, who have been orphaned from HIV. Not only that, but the rest of the folks with Children of Grace uh, work with these orphans that have been orphaned from HIV. Parents have died from HIV. Mary chose to work with the kids who are also HIV positive. And then she has a kid in the midst of that. Came here to Toronto, first time outside of Africa, got surgery at sick kids. God was good in the middle of it. And every time we talk to Mary, even now, we're texting back and forth. She's back in Uganda now with Solomon. He's growing, doing well. But you know what? Just like Scott talked about, those challenges don't go away. They're still there. They may rear their ugly head again. She doesn't know. And in the midst of all that, Psalm 46 was kind of her chorus that she kept coming back to and singing. Be still and know that I am God. And if she was standing here right now, she would tell you, God used my pain, my deep, deep pain for his glory and my good. And if he takes Solomon home long before I think he should, I still trust him. That he's using my pain for his glory and my ultimate good. Men and women of God, I'm just 35 years old, but I've experienced my fair share of pain. I'm telling you in my own life, I know this. I'm not going to like divulge all that information. Half the time you can read about it on the internet, but that's beside the point. I, I can tell you that in my own personal life, when I get my head around this idea that pain is inevitable, so pain avoidance is not God's goal. God's goal is to leverage pain, leverage my pain, so that he can get attention And for my ultimate good, which is conformity into the likeness of Christ, all of a sudden I start to release stuff to him. All of a sudden I start to obey what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, all those who experience pain, difficulty, trial, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Because God can use your pain for his glory, and for your ultimate good. So here's the thing. If pain is inevitable, and God is using it to declare his works like he does in John chapter 9, like he's about to in John chapter 9, then what's my role in the meantime? If pain is inevitable, and ultimately God is going to use it for my good and for his glory, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? While I'm experiencing pain, what's my role? Look back at the text. Verse 4, John 9, verse 4. Jesus says to his disciples, We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is a little bit of an awkward read here, but let me tell you what Jesus is saying in verse 5. Jesus likes to proclaim his power, authority, and role in the world and then follow it up with a deed that corresponds to that claim. Get it? He likes to declare it in word and then follow it up with a deed that corresponds. So when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, very next thing he does is raise Lazarus from the dead to prove it. Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and immediately after, he tells his disciples, I am the bread of life. So what Jesus says here, he says, 
I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he's about to give this blind man sight. Spoiler alert. Don't know if you knew the ending here, but he's about to give this blind man sight. So he says, I am the light of the world. And then he follows it up with a deed by giving a man who is blind from birth sight. And in, so he says, while I'm here, I'm the light and I'm about to prove it. Now, in verse 4, he tells his disciples and he kind of predicts his own death by saying, night is coming. Night is coming, and during the night, nobody works. When Jesus says the night, he's referring to those three days that he was in the grave. Makes total sense to me. If Jesus isn't around, why do anything? That, that, the, the whole thing is over if Jesus is still in the grave. So he's saying, when I'm in the grave, it's, it's, if, if I'm the light of the world and I'm not in the world, it doesn't make sense for you to do anything. However, while I'm around, in other words, yeah, while I'm around, we got to be about the business of him who sent me. we got to do the things the Father has called us to do. In verse 4, Jesus says it this way, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. So during night, no one works. If Jesus is in the grave, there's no sense in doing the work of the Father. But during the day, when Jesus is with us as the light of the world, we must work the deeds of the Father. Now listen closely because this is profound. Night has come and gone. The light of the world has come. He was in the grave for three days, and he's not there anymore. So if our goal, while Jesus is with us, the light of the world, is to do the deeds of the Father, and Jesus is with us now as the light of the world, what is our responsibility? What's our task? What's our job? Well, our job is to work alongside God to address the pain in our world. While the light of the world is here, our job is to work the works of the Father. It's to work alongside God to address the pain in our world. I use that word address because it's kind of a general term, and I wanted it to be general this morning because, because I don't know what pain you encounter in your life. Maybe you're caring for aging parents. I know many folks in our congregation that, that, that are caring for aging parents, and it's a painful, painful time. Maybe it's, it's someone in your life that needs a friend. Maybe you have a friend that's struggling with a deep, dark clinical depression, and they just need somebody to call and say, hey, can we go get a coffee? Or can I come over and visit you? Maybe it's visiting an elderly friend. Maybe it's sponsoring a child. Maybe it's feeding the poor. Maybe it's just a smile to someone in need. I don't know what it is, but our job, if you know Jesus, he's the light of the world. Our job is to address the pain we see in our world, is to work alongside God and address that pain. This is, this is a side note. I put my Bible over here. This is a side note. This is just my personal experience. The people in my life that I see actively addressing pain, serving the poor, coming alongside the broken, praying for the hurting, comforting the lonely, those folks have the least amount of trouble when it comes to reconciling God and pain. In other words, there are those who see pain in our world and they conclude things like God must not exist, God must not be powerful. God must not be good. Then there are those who see pain 
and they conclude this. God must be powerful enough and good enough to use a broken vessel like me to address the pain I see. I better get about the business of addressing it. That's why we have things like deacon's ministry. For those of you who are looking for a place to serve, deacon's ministry visits people in the hospital, visit people who can't come to church on a Sunday morning. Why? Because we're about the business of doing the works of the Father, addressing the pain we see in our world. That's why helping hands exist. That's why neighbor link exists. That's why we uh, receive a benevolent offering at the end of the first Sunday of the month. We'll do that at the end of our service today to address the pain we see in the world, to partner with God, to work alongside him. That's why we do missions work. Listen close. Not because it's good moral stuff. Not because it's good deeds. Not because we like to put notches in our Bible and say, I did the things God told me to do. It's because the gospel is a comprehensive, redemptive plan for restoring God's creation to its original intent. And when we are transformed by the gospel, we join with God in the process of restoring the world around us as well. Not because it's a good deed, but because God invites broken folks like you and me to say, I can address the pain I see around me. I can comfort the lonely. I can come alongside the weak. I can make a phone call to a lonely friend. This is why the Bible has so much to say about we, the church, loving the broken, coming alongside the wounded, because get this, God allows us to partner with him in that restoration process. Now that's pretty cool. The Bible tells us that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So pain is inevitable. God's going to use our pain for his glory and our ultimate good. And then, and then, like, what are you even doing to invite me into that? You can be a part of this restoration process with me, God says. That's amazing. That's amazing. Let's finish our story. Verse 6, having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he, the man, went and washed and came back seeing. He came back seeing. Now look what Jesus has done here. He's used this man's inevitable pain. To bring God glory. He has done the work of the Father. He has partnered with God in the restoration process. And this pain is used for God's glory and for this man's ultimate good. We, even now, 2,000 years later, are seeing the goodness and grace of God on display. That Jesus heals a man blind from birth. And gives him sight. Now, pain is inevitable, and God uses our pain for his glory and and our ultimate good. We're invited to partner with God in this restoration process by addressing the pain that we see in our world. But there's one critical part to this story that's missing, one critical part. And if you walk away with nothing else this morning, for those of you especially who are hurting, broken, and in pain, jot this down. One day, God will stop pain. One day, God will stop pain. One day, words like cancer will be 
I remember we used to use that word. I don't remember what it means. It's archaic. One day words like crying, mourning, death, dying. I got bad news from the doctor. Broken marriages. We'll look around at each other and go, I forgot what that word means. How do I know that? Because Revelation 21.4 says it. Look up here on the screen. It says, he, that's Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. It won't exist anymore. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Here's what, here's what John is saying in the book of Revelation. He says, one day, Jesus is going to show up on the scene and he's going to go, okay, everybody stop. And he's going to restore things to the way they originally were intended before we messed it up. And pain and mourning and crying will go away. The pain we experience will be no more when God restores all things. In the meantime, we allow pain in our life, inevitable pain, to bring God glory. We allow him to use it for our ultimate good, and we partner with God. We join with him in that restoration work. I cut my sermon a little bit short this morning because, because what we're going to do is take a few minutes to partner with God in that restoration work. Here's what's going to happen. Just in a few minutes, Scott's going to come up and just kind of play as we conclude. And some of our prayer partners are going to stand. It's just folks in our church that uh, are willing to come before the Lord on your behalf and pray with you in the midst of pain. And, and here's what we're inviting you to do. When those guys come forward, they're wearing name tags. They'll be right up here at the front. We're inviting you to just stand. And I know it's awkward. You're scooting down the aisle and people are standing. I know that. But, but this is who we are, men and women of God. We're a hospital for the hurt, not a hotel for the healthy. Okay? So we kind of get pain is inevitable, Right? We just talked about that. We, we know that we're experiencing pain in our own life. So all we want to do is come alongside you in prayer. You can share your request with one of these prayer partners if you want. You don't have to. You can share your name. You don't have to. All it is is standing up and coming forward and saying, okay, God, I'm just confessing my need. I'm in pain. And allowing a brother or a sister in Christ to pray for you and pray with you and come to God on your behalf. For the rest of us, we're not going to sing during this time. Uh, Scott's just going to play, just kind of provide a little background, invite you to just reflect and pray and think and be still before the Lord. But for those of you who say, gosh, I need somebody to pray for me today. I'm in pain. I'm hurting. We invite you to come forward at this time. Uh, just in a minute, I'm going to pray and say amen, and we'll invite you to come forward and receive prayer. After that, we're going to conclude together by singing one more song. Until then, let's pray. God, I'm thinking of a, of a friend who told me once that um, the work of the prayer partner is not done in the prayer. The work of the prayer partner is done when an individual stands and acknowledges a need. God, when we just say, I, I need you, Lord. Every moment of every day, I, I need you. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm lonely. 
God, I'm facing difficulty, hardship, and trial, and I need you, and I need your body, the church, to rally around me and pray for me. God, would you call that out of our hearts even now? For those in this place that need prayer, God, would you give them courage to just stand and come forward and receive it? As we just love one another in Jesus' name by praying for one another. Move in this time, O Spirit of God. Still us before you. Speak. In Christ's name, amen. Prayer partners, if you guys would come forward, and for those of you who uh, would like to receive prayer, at any point you can stand and come forward. Just as these folks finish praying, you guys can just keep praying here in the front. Don't don't stop on my account. Very few stories illustrate our message today better than the story of Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford lost his only son to scarlet fever in 1870. He lost his business and all of his property in the great Chicago fire of 1871 and lost what little he had left in the recession in 1873. Just before that recession, he had planned a trip to Europe with his wife and four daughters, and he had to stay back and tend to a couple of financial things that that happened as a result of that recession, and so he sent them in a boat on ahead of him. Just a couple days later, Horatio Spafford would get a telegram from his wife, and it read this, Saved alone, what shall I do? His wife Anna was referring to the fact that during their trek across to Europe, the boat had, their boat had collided with another boat and sank quickly. All four of Horatio Spafford's daughters were killed when that boat sank. Horatio Spafford and his wife Anna would go on to have three more children. They established a mission in Jerusalem to serve the poor. It's actually a Nobel Prize winning book about his life. In other words, they got busy in the midst of their pain allowing God to leverage their pain for his glory and their good. They got busy working alongside God to tend to the needs of the poor and the hurting and the broken in their community. They got busy addressing the pain that they saw in their world. As Horatio Spafford traveled across to Europe to meet his wife, his boat crossed over that area of ocean where his four daughters had lost their lives. And when they crossed over that area of ocean, Horatio Spafford sat down and began to write these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. 
Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. As we conclude our service this morning, our ushers are going to come forward one more time just to receive a benevolent offering. Again, it goes directly to the needs of our community, to the poor, the broken, the hurting. encourage you to give as you feel led. It's up to you. No pressure whatsoever at all. But we just want to come alongside those and, again, really get about the business of addressing the pain we see in our world. As our ushers do that, let's stand together and sing those words, when peace like a river attendeth my way.